Well, good morning, Vineyard. How's everyone this morning? Doing well? Awesome. Mr. George is in the house. Say good morning to your neighbor. Say good morning to everybody online this morning. Good morning, online people. We're so... Whoopsies. We are so uh, thankful. We're so happy you decided to join us today. We are going to start with our worship this morning with some music. Let it be a time to open your hearts and and your mind and let the Holy Spirit work um, so that uh, maybe we don't leave the same way we came today. And uh, we celebrated uh, Resurrection Sunday last week. It was amazing. But my, I guess where I've been all this week is to, to not forget Sunday, right? We can celebrate, we can, we can have um, all the fanfare, we can remember Jesus dying on the cross and raising, but if we go back to who we are and who we, we were before we celebrated, and maybe you were, you were perfect and you were doing everything right, but like this week, I challenged myself not to, to go back to who I was, to be changed by the resurrection of our King. Amen? So if you feel like standing or dancing, you can get to your feet. Um, yeah, it is just, it's weird this morning, isn't it? Huh? Well, no, I mean, just... If you saw what I saw this morning, it would be it would be weird. You but guys it's don't okay. look weird. It's okay. You look huh? beautiful. Don't I didn't say they <laughs> looked weird. I said it is. Well, that turned quickly. Good morning, Vineyard. Yeah. Hey, Dave uh, Anderson. We're just going to edit that whole first part out. Just shut it down and begin all over again. No, come and worship Jesus with us. Jesus. Jesus. 
more time, just you guys. To a God. Singing hallelujah. Amen. Talk to God every week about not smashing me on the platform, but he doesn't listen.
Who's doing announcements this morning? Scott, get up here, please. Just come on up around. Give a big hand for Pastor Scott. Or else we might go around one more time. The never ending. Good morning. It's great to welcome you to the Vineyard Community Church. And... uh, We're glad you can join us here in the building uh, and also online uh, with Facebook. Um, We will be sharing communion this morning, and so if you are worshiping at home and you want to get your elements of juice and bread ready, uh, be glad glad for you to do that. Pastor Brent is beginning... Our new uh, sermon series today, which is on spiritual warfare, and the message today is spiritual warfare, the war, and it's the scriptures found in Genesis 3. Uh, Grab your Bible or cell to look up today's text, or it's also in the bulletin. Uh, Today is name tag Sunday, not so that you know who you are, but so that we know who you are. Um, And... uh, Please, please uh, wear, wear the name tag, and if you see someone and their name is a surprise to you, go up and talk to them and, uh, and get to know them. Any time is a good time for popcorn, and we have a popcorn fundraiser for our Food Resource Center beginning today. Lots of great favor- flavors, and only $15 for a large bag, no other fees, no delivery fees, no shipping fees, none of those. Uh, Check out the flyer in your bulletin for more details. Uh, This coming Saturday, there's a women's brunch and workshop here at the church. The study is called What the the Women Saw. Teresa, did you need to say something about that? No, okay. Uh, What the Women Saw, Discovering Jesus Through the Eyes of Women. There's no book involved for the study, and we don't want you to miss miss out. Sign up for the lo- in the lobby today. Uh, there will be a study guide, and they want to have those available for you, so they want to know that you're coming. Um, drenched, an evening of worship here at the Vineyard Community Church. We will be having a heavenly time of worship together this Saturday, Saturday evening, April 22nd, from 7 to 9 p.m. Here, here in the sanctuary. Are you new to the Vineyard? We are glad that you're here. Uh, Next Sunday, stick around for a short meet and greet immediately following the morning worship service. 
Uh, one more thing. Saturday, April the 29th, is our annual church spring cleaning event. Um, please mark your calendar to come for a little while and help, or come for a long while and help. Um, there's something for everyone to do, 9 to 3 p.m. at the church. There's a sign-up sheet in the lobby. Don't forget today's offering. We have a small table set up in the back of the sanctuary for your offering, or you can donate on the church website or on Facebook. Um, don't forget the church. And now Cindy Langford will come and lead us in communion. If you did not receive one of the small communion cups with the bread attached, uh, when you came in, please raise your hand, and uh, someone will uh, get that to you. And for those of you at home, grab your cup and bread and join us. And now Cindy will lead us. So if you didn't get a communion cup, raise your hand and we will bring one to you. So looks, everybody looks good. So um, communion, communion is the community of God's people taking the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him. We all are his, his family. Um, the Sidewalk Prophets did a song, and I'm going to read it to you. It's about come to the table. We all start on the outside, the outside looking in. This is where grace begins. We are hungry, we are thirsty, with nothing left to give. On the shape that we, are, we were in, just when all hope seemed lost, love opened the door for us. Come meet this mighty crew of misfits, these liars and these thieves. There's no one unwelcome here, the sin and shame that you brought with you. You can leave it at the door and let mercy draw you near. So come to the table. Come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. Sit down and be set free. Come to the table. To the thief and to the doubter. To the hero and the coward. To the prisoner and the soldier. To the young and to the older. All who hunger and all who thirst. All the last and all the first. All the paupers and the princes. All, the, all who fail, you've been forgiven. All who dream and all who suffer, all who loved and lost another, all the chained and all the free, all who follow, all who lead, anyone who has been let down, all the lost you have been found, all who have been labeled right or wrong, to everyone who hears this song, come to the table. Come join the sinners you have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. Sit down and be set free. Sit down and be set free. Come to the table. Sit down and be set free. That's by Sidewalk Prophets. And uh, that song has had a major impact on me. And I, I can visualize that first supper when we all get to heaven, that we'll all be sitting down with him, that his radiance will be before us. And it's not, nothing we do. It's, it's what he has done for us. It's what he's done. And if you don't know Jesus, today's a great day to start because it's open arms, open table, open bar, you know. So, so come. So come and uh, if, if you want to know Jesus, find one of us to lead you, th to help you 
I mean, just acknowledge that he's your savior, that he died for your sins. That's all you need to do. Um, After we read the scripture, we'll take communion together. Hopefully you can get it open. So we, we do practice for all believers, so anybody can partake. So if you still don't have a communion, if you don't have a communion cup, raise your hand. I'm reading from Luke chapter 22. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Go ahead. Go ahead and take the bread and the wine. Lord, we know that Lord, we know that you look down on us and you see us and you see us where we're at and we thank you. We thank you for that. That you meet us there. And I just pray that you would bless all the hearts here today and just guide them to you that we would have a uh, stronger relationship relationship with you and that we would desire a stronger relationship with you in Jesus name amen So there was a teacher who was teaching a class about the story of the three little pigs. Do you know the story of the three little pigs? You don't? Uh, This isn't going to work then. Anyways, three little pigs, you know, one of them builds a house out of straw, one of them builds a house out of wood, and one of them builds a house out of brick. And then the big bad wolf comes and blows their, tries to blow their houses down, but the brick house doesn't blow down. That's why Teresa and I have a brick house and not a straw house. But anyway, so that the first pig is going around, he goes into the um, uh, town to get some straw, and he's got his wheelbarrow, and he comes across to, uh, and, and this, is, this was actually, the, this teacher was teaching a first grade class this, this story, and, and the, um, farm, the first pig comes across a farmer who's got straw, and um, uh, the, the pig asks for some some straw, and she, she asked her class, what do you think the first question the, the farmer, or what do you think the first thing the farmer would say when, when the, the pig is asking for the straw? And one little kid raises his hand and goes, holy smokes, a talking pig. 
It's my best joke, sorry. Um, that would start out bad. Maybe it would go better from there. Um, today we're going to talk about a talking snake, so a serpent. It's, you know, we start out with the talking pig. So uh, we're going to be looking at starting a new series on it called Spiritual Warfare. And basically the, the premise is that, that we live in a world that's not only do we have you know, physical enemies and challenges and things that go on. But there's a reality, there's a world behind the world that is happening and that there, um, I believe that there's a, a real embodiment of evil, a real embodiment of personal evil. And we call that person Satan. Uh, Satan, in a sense, means the adversary, um, but it's kind of become known as a, as a um, title, Jesus used a bunch of different references when he spoke speaking about Satan. And today in Genesis we come across the first kind of incidents of of encountering evil sort of in a, in a form. And it comes in the form of this serpent. And um it's a talking serpent. So holy cow, a talking serpent. Um but the the serpent it doesn't it doesn't give us a big deep theology of of where this serpent came from where did this original evil come from all those kind of things what it does though is gives us an idea of why we are the way we are why our world is a little bit the way it is it doesn't give a full flushing out of that in order to find that you need to read the rest of the book it's just the very beginning but it's the very beginning of of talking about our relationship with God and how distorted and, and twisted that, that becomes and how it, be, how it became distorted and twisted at the very beginning. And in some ways, how not only did Adam and Eve um, believe the lies or the deception of the serpent, but in a very real sense, all of us throughout history have done the same thing. And so there's this the, this picture where it represents, they sort of represent all of humanity, and I do believe in what's called original sin, so I do believe that that affected everything. Um, that is the reason, the biggest reason that our whole world is the way it is. But I also believe, like it, Paul said in Romans 5, that, um, uh, you know, in Adam, all sin, but we all sin by ourselves too. So there's kind of this dual thing going on here. So we're coming to Genesis, and um, I'm going to read a little bit of chapter chapter uh, two, the end of chapter two, because it gives us some heading into there. Verse. I'm going to start with verse eight. It says, "Now the Lord God had planted a garden, planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there He had um, put the man He had formed. And this is before Eve is formed, and I'm not going to go into the formation of Eve." The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of, were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you do, you will certainly die. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals. And the term crafty there means... I, I kind of picture the serpent like Loki in uh, the Marvel stories. You know, I picture the serpent kind of like that. 
He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, Well, no, wait. We, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Well, things get screwed up quick, don't they? If that would have kept going, it would have, I don't know how that would have gone. But you'll certainly die. You'll certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And so here we have um, the first, uh, kind of the first recognition of something that we'll get into in a minute. Then the man and his wife were heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called out to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid and I, because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Remember, God never asks questions because he doesn't know the answer. It's like, it's like if you're a parent and your kid does something and it's like you ask them, Honey, did you take the, the candy out of there? No. The man said, The woman you put me here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. This is like such an amazingly funny story. Then the, I mean, it's terrible and it's awful, but it's really funny too because isn't it just like all of us? You know, then, then the woman said, then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And, and, and um, it goes on, it, it, I'll just kind of paraphrase the, the next part of it. He says, woman, what is this you have done? And, and she goes, the serpent that you gave to us told me this. And then the, serp, you know, the serpent didn't have anywhere to go. He's like, yeah, I did it. <laughs> um, he didn't really care. So, why are we the way we are? In some ways, this gives us a, um, a powerful picture of that. And so let me pray first, and then let me explain what I think is, is happening here and what we're supposed to learn from Genesis 3. So, um, Father, would you come and bless your words this morning and help, help me to communicate your power and with your power and grace, just the truths of the realities of life and our lives and how our lives are affected by all this. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a lot of things this doesn't explain. And to be honest, I've learned over time, it doesn't necessarily do us a ton of good to sit and dabble into like, well, I wonder where the serpent came from and I wonder where evil came from and how did, how did the serpent get evil, evil and, da, 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 and all those things. Because sometimes when we do that, we miss the whole point of what's going on here. Right? We can miss the point. So, one of the first points that, that this passage makes is that God is always good. God is really good. God is good. He creates this whole thing. 
And he plants, he puts in this beautiful garden that's called Eden. It's a paradise. And he puts the man there, and then he forms a woman, you know, and a, you know, a woman to be a partner with the man, and they're given a vocation. They're given permission. Do you realize that uh, they're given a ton of permission in here? What do we focus on? The one thing they're not supposed to do, right? There's 30 million things that they're given that they can do. Like, right? What, what about those things? You know? There's a lot of stuff that they can do. I don't know how many trees there were. There's, there's one really funny quote I was reading from Walter Brueggemann. He's an Old Testament scholar and professor. And he, and he said, he's talking about this whole thing, and maybe I'll find this quote maybe in a minute, but he's talking about this whole thing. He says, you know, it's this, there's this beautiful picture of God giving humanity this vocation. He gives them permission, and he gives them one prohibition. You know, and he said, and it would, it would, it would be nice if, <laughs> if God hadn't planted such dangerous trees in the garden, but there we are. So, um, which I thought was funny. Um, in the middle of the garden were trees of life and, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So God gives, initially he gives them three things. So, so the beginning of this whole thing is that God is really good. And he gives them just one prohibition. He says, he took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. That's the vocation. To work it, to take care of it. You know what? That, that's the first mandate. That's to, and this ultimately becomes a mandate for humanity. We're, we're all given that. God, God created us to be both men and women. He created us to be stewards with him in stewarding this beautiful creation that he's made. That was his first calling. God has made us, in a sense, to be you know, princes and princesses that, that, are, that join with him in working his creation in doing things in his creation. He loves creativity. I think there's, there's, that's why a lot of us, all of us, I think, in a sense, we love to do something. We love to, you know, accomplish something. I finally got my, I put my, my wife's car had a couple dents in the fender and the hood and stuff. And so I put it back together and I got it all done and I was like, cool, you know. There was something fulfilling about that. You see, work in the Bible, is never really considered... I mean, it, it, it can become a curse. It does become a little bit of a curse after this, this whole incident happened. But in general, God creates us for a purpose. He's a, he's a God that's creating. He's a God that's working. He's created you with, with purposeful things. He wants you to be purposeful, creative people. And to use those things. And he wants to partner with you as you do those things. He wants to partner with me as I do the things he's called me to do. And he gives me a ton of permission. There's a lot of things you could do, Brent. You know, there's a lot of things here. You know, you can eat from any tree in the garden. I don't know how many trees there were. You know, but I bet it was more than Baskin Robbins has ice cream. Is that, do, they still, they don't, do, they still have, do they still advertise 21 flavors? I don't even know. Maybe they don't, so you don't know what I'm talking about. So, um, but anyway, so he gives them vocation. He gives them permit permission. There's a great psalm that says, "The earth is, is the Lord's, 
and everything in it. God created everything, and everything is good. Everything God created is good. There's, there's good parts. It can be used for bad, but it's all, it's all inherently good. So he gives them permission. Paul says this in Corinthians. He says, everything is permissible to, for me, but not everything's beneficial. I mean, food is good, right? Up to a point. <laughs> but it can be abused. I mean, some of you are able to, I'm not able to, but some, some people are able to have like a glass of wine or beer or something with dinner and not have a problem with it. I mean, I, I used to be able to do that, but I would have like 30 and, uh, and that was a little bit of a problem. So, so it goes on. And, and one of the things that I think, it, and C.S. Lewis captures this real well, is this image of, of the image of God in us. The image of God is implanted in us. We're, we're created in God's image. And C.S. Lewis talks about, about it like this, and it's a really cool way to picture us. And C.S. Lewis talks about it in the sense of how we are to help other people either move in the direction of becoming the, the prince and princesses that they are or we're, we're helping them become the more destructive person that they may become. He says, there are no ordinary people. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. And he means that in a small sense. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day become a creature which, if you saw, saw it now, would be, you would be strongly tempted to worship. In other words, in, in Corinthians it talks about this. It says, we are being transformed from glory to glory. And we have no idea with, about the glory that God ha, will, that will be revealed in us and through us. That one day we'll see each other as God originally intended us to be, without the flaws, without the faults, without all those things. And we'll go, oh my gosh. And that's part of the reason God calls us to love one another and treat one another with dignity and honor and to, to help each other become this. To help each other become the creature that <laughs> if we saw them now, we might even be tempted to worship. Now, we're not supposed to worship people, so he's not saying that. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. We're all moving one direction or another. He goes on and he says, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is with immortals with whom we joke, work, marry, <laughs> snub, exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. We are immortals. God has made us for immortality. Do you know that? These bodies decay and they die. But this is not the end. We grow into something beautiful and in Christ. We grow into something beautiful and more awesome and transformative than we can even possibly imagine. And it's important to remember that. It's like I'm standing up here and my, my left hip and leg is like killing me and I'm He's got my sinus stuff going on and all that stuff. It's good to remember that one day, there's a day coming. There's a day coming. Right? There's a day coming. It 
So we have the scenes coming up in these passages. It says in scene one, this is Walter Brueggemann, the action develops quickly in terms of the formation of a clay creature totally dependent on God. God creates this person out of the clay. The planting of a garden is a good place for the creature and identification of the two trees. The presence of the human creature, garden trees, gives a setting and potential dynamics for the story. The God... The garden is an act of utter graciousness. But the trees disclose the character of that graciousness. There's no cheap grace here. The storyteller is terse. He is quick. We're not told why the trees are as they are. One might wish for a garden without such dangerous trees. But that is not given to us. And if it were so, it would obviously be a garden which evoked no story. That is one which offered no history. And so we move into this story. And as we move into this story, God is, everything is, I mean, everything is awesome. You know, the, the, the logo, was that the Lego movie? When everything is awesome? Everything is awesome. I mean, it really is awesome. It's like not terrible. We can't even, we can't even fathom a world. I can't fathom a world. I am look so forward to the world where when I get a call, like last night, kind of late, or maybe it was early this morning, Teresa got a call, and my first thought is like, all right, who died? What happened? I, I can't wait for that world to come. I can't wait. I, I hate having to, you know, walk through some of the stuff we have to walk through. We have to walk through it. God calls us to do it. I'm not saying we sh- should just, uh, you know, take an escape chute. So if any of you are thinking of that, that's not an okay route. But there will come a day when we won't have to do that anymore. But in the meantime, they're in this beautiful place of paradise and suddenly this serpent appears. And he's more crafty than any of the other wild animals. And crafty, again, is a term that means he's shrewd. He's snarky. No, he's snarky, snarky serpent. That's his name, Snarky. Um, He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Do you see what's happening? What happens right there? Anybody? Doubt. Doubt. But also, he changed a couple things, didn't he? Didn't he change something? He changed. God said, you cannot eat from this one tree. What does Satan do? He goes... Did God really... And by the way, this isn't really a... He's not doing a question like... Satan isn't doing a question like... Or the serpent isn't really doing a question like... Did God really... He's doing a question like, really? You know how a lot of our newscasters do that? They'll do the news and then they'll sneer. They sneer. They're like, really? Do you know what this person did? Can you believe that? Look at what they did. You know, look at what Denise did. Can you believe that? Look, look at her. I mean, Really? Really? Uh, that's more what this is like. Do you get it? So, so he's getting, he's starting to get people. He start. This is the first time something comes in, and somebody comes in and begins challenging the goodness of God. The greatest and worst thing that the serpent and the Satan has ever done in this world is get us to doubt the goodness of God. Because once he gets that, he he knows that he. 
Rarely, once in a while in Scripture, he'll try to get us not to believe in God, but most people don't not believe in God. Most people begin to believe that God isn't good, and therefore they just give up on God. And the greatest achievement of Satan, which is horrible, is to get all of humanity to think that God somehow doesn't want good for us. I, I actually had somebody come up to me once, many years ago, and they said they, were, they had grown up in a church, and they'd grown up in kind of a conservative church, and they were hitting that, you know, the teenage years where, you know, they, they learned what boys were and all that stuff, you know, and, which was like, oh, great, don't go there. Um, that was the one, by the way, if you're a young lady, we don't have any young ladies, if you're a young lady, that is the, the, the forbidden fruit is, is guys. Just, um, but anyway, so this person is, and this was really telling, it was really interesting, they, they said, you know, I really want to follow God. I want to follow Jesus. But I want, to, I want to have some joy in my life. I want to try and enjoy my life. I want to have some fun in my life. And I thought, how sad is it that we have created an image in people's minds of a God, the creative God who made everything, who made everything good. The earth is the Lord and is in everything in it, who made everything beautiful and wonderful and tasty and who made, like I've shared before, who created sex not you know we don't do sex some just mechanical way of you know like putting a q-tip in our ear and then putting a q-tip in their ear and that's how you become pregnant by the way that is how you become pregnant if you're young and you don't know this story if if you've never heard this story um that's how it happens um and if you're if you're a guy here and 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 you have boys please tell your tell your boys you know the whole thing my mom told me and i thought it was like oh oh Oh, this is terrible. I'm never going to do that. That was my first response. When my mom told me about sex, I'm like, I just remember sitting there thinking, I'm never doing that. That sounds like, sounds like the worst thing ever. About a year later, that changed. But, um, but anyway, that, that part of what's going on here is he's changing it. Not only that, but he changes. So he's sneering at, at this idea that somehow God's trying to keep something from... But he changes the words, too. He's trying to get the perspective of who he is. He says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve's like, no, 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 no. He didn't say... It. So he's, he, this battle, is, this, this cognitive thing is already going on in her mind. Did he say that? No, no, he didn't say that. He said, we can't eat from that one tree. So you see what Satan's trying to do is he's trying to get us to think of God as the ultimate killjoy in life. Is that really how you think of God? Do you really think of God as trying to keep you from really finding joy and satisfaction in life? You, want it, you do God because you don't want to go to hell, but in reality, you don't think of God as somebody who really wants you to flourish and who wants to give you life, who wants to give you life abundantly. And Satan is so corrupted, even the religious institutions and pastors and everybody else, that pretty much so many people grow up thinking that's what God is like. I mean, the whole song, in heaven there is no beer, that's why we drink it here, is a whole, I mean, that's a whole testimony and theology of, 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 of what we think of God. Isn't it? I mean, I look forward to, for me, being recovering alcoholic. I can't drink and I can't use anything while I'm here other than cold medicine and stuff while I'm here in this world. I, it's, I've recognized that that's not an option for me. But I love when Jesus says, you know, I'm not going to drink from this again until I'm in the kingdom with my Father. And I believe that one day I'm going to be set free. I'm not going to be stuck with the bondages of addiction. 
I'm like doing that, like the preacher thing, you know. I'm sorry. I'm really not like that. Just a, um, so anyway, so the first thing he does is get us to doubt the goodness of God. And if nothing else this morning, if I can help you to begin to question the question. Let's begin to question the questioner, okay? Let's begin to doubt Satan and his intentions or the serpent. Let's begin to go, wait a second, do you really have my best interest? In, would, it, would it really be beneficial if that girl that I find really attractive down the street, if I went and really had an affair with her, if I, if I went and, what, would it really be that great if I went and just, you know, slowly kind of took some money out of the, the corporate till at the whatever business you work at? Would it really... Would that really be good? No. No. It would lead to terrible things. One of the things we learn in recovery is to, to think through the process. Where will this end? In, in, in my earlier sobriety, it got, you know, it got to this place where it was like, I would start thinking through, okay, I really feel like getting high or having a drink or whatever. What will be the result of that? Same as it's ever been. Same as it's ever been. I'll end, up, I'll end up doing stuff I don't remember. I'll end up blacked out. and Either I'll, I'll be in a smashed up car somewhere or I'll be in a police station. Or I'll be laying dead in, well, what people think is dead in my car. My friends will all leave me there. And I'll wake up the next day and I'll, I'll puke my guts out until I'm throwing up bile. Think it through. Think it through. How much fun is that? Or I'll end up losing everything that God has given to me. So the woman said, we may eat any of the true... So, so anyway, it goes on. So, why do we not do what God says? Is because we begin to not trust that He has good for us that he does not have good for us. The second way the serpent gets humans is by getting us to question the truth of what God said. You will certainly not die, the serpent said, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like, like God, knowing good from evil. When the women saw that the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable. You know, we don't get tempted by things that are awful. I mean, I, I know there are people that struggle with weird fetishes and stuff. But I have never, ever been tempted to, like, eat dog poop. You know, it's like, has this never been really a temptation? Do we get tempted by things that are beautiful, that are wonderful, that are awesome? Yeah. And the closer something is to um, super satisfying our souls and, and, and super making us experience the joy of God, the more apt we are going to be to let them become something that brings us down. She thought it was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. Now, you know what's interesting in this, and one of the writers was writing about this and said, you know, it never says, God told them there was a prohibition there, at least at that time, but he never said that 
that they would never, ever be able to do that. He just said, don't do that now. You know, you're not ready for it. You're not ready for it. Because no less than Adam and Eve, we are also called to live in God's world and not in a world of our own devising. We are to live in God's world on God's terms, but there's only one way we c- you can accept those terms happily. Because when some people hear that they are to, c- are to live on God's terms, they immediately feel like their wings are being clipped, their fun is getting spoiled, their freedom squelched. For some people, hearing about living in God's terms conjures up images of a heavenly drill sergeant ready to wave a bony finger in their faces and then run them ragged down some moral obstacle course. So how can you avoid such a reaction? How can you get put, uh, get put in your proper place yet without feeling put upon, hemmed in or restricted? You avoid it by nurturing trust. If you trust that God has your best interest at heart, then you can fit yourself into his creation without feeling as if as if the zip just went out of everything. Can you trust that if God says don't, it's because he doesn't want to see you get hurt? Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Do you see God who wants, as somebody who really wants us to flurry, flurry, flourish, I'm thinking of ice cream. Go ahead. God wants us to enjoy and find joy in life. He doesn't want to destroy our joy. But he also doesn't want to see us destroyed. So when God, I've gotten a little bit better at recognizing that. So what's the result of what happens? Well, first of all, there's immense shame. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and so on, she, she, she ate it and she gave some to her husband and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And that's not... There's a whole depth of shame that's going on there. There's this immense shame that comes on humanity. Suddenly there's guilt and shame. There was no guilt and shame before. It says, right before this, in in Genesis 2, it says, and they were naked and not ashamed. Wouldn't that be great to live without guilt and shame? Please don't come here next week naked and not ashamed. <laughs> so I'd clarify that. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? And God comes to him. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman, and then the, and then the blame game starts, right? The woman gave it, you know, and. The Lord God said, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And there's this ongoing, there's this amazingly ongoing thing of blaming now, they're shifting. And the next thing we know, we run into this and there's these curses that God has placed upon Adam and on Eve. Not, you know, they're just natu- kind of consequences of what's going to happen. And the first consequence we see right away with, they have two children, Cain and Abel. What does Cain do? He kills Abel. And, and, and the whole beautiful, wonderful story of creation it just starts getting, taking this terribly dark turn. And it starts out 
with this amazing thing, the result of the fall is fear and alienation. And they were, the man and wife heard the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to them and said, Where are you? And, and he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And ever since then, whenever God appears to anybody in Scripture, what's the first thing that God has to tell him? Don't be afraid. You know, I have these two cats, and I love my cats. And I'm actually, you know, for as as, um, as Loki-ish and, and kind of snarky as I can be sometimes, I'm actually really pretty nice to our cats, wouldn't you say, Therese? 99.9% of the time. But I, but my cats are like, I mean, they act like I abuse them all the time, you know? I'll walk up to them, and they'll be like, ah, run away, and I'm like, really, you guys? I just fed you supper, and then I petted you for half an hour, and you bit me. I didn't bite you. You chomped me after I was petting you for a while. And now you're just like, oh, oh, the terrible, scary man's coming. I'm like, where did you get this? You know, I'm not, well, I'm kind of scary, but not that bad. But that's how we are with God, isn't it? We hide in shame. We're afraid. There's a great quote here. It says, Our job as image bearers is to live in God's world on God's terms. That is who we are, and that is where we live. To follow other paths, to try to forge a different identity is to be lost. As I mentioned to you sometime a while back, someone once asked a Jewish rabbi why God had to call out, Adam, where are you? Didn't God know where Adam was, the person asked the rabbi? Oh yes, God knew, the rabbi replied. It was Adam who didn't know where he was. Only by answering the divine call could Adam hope to begin to find himself again and so relocate himself in the proper place as God's servant. And thankfully there's a cure. And the cure comes right in the beginning of the curses. The cure's in the curse. And we don't always see it. This is a picture that the ladies are going to use for their um, women's... Sorry, I found it and I stole it. Jesus wasn't going to give it to me, but I found it anyway. I stole it from her. But I just thought it was such a great image of, of what this is. So the Lord said because you, to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And I love that picture. Do you see the imagery there? Do you see the serpent wound around Eve? Do you see Eve holding the fruit? Do you see Mary pregnant with God's deliverance? From the very beginning, God had a plan to undo this whole thing, to make us whole. One of the reasons we become Christians and we encourage people to come to know Jesus is because that whole curse that we experienced at the very beginning of the fall and that all of us are in ourselves have done, we've all done this too. We've all said, I don't trust God. 
That's when I was 13 when I made that choice. And even today, we still don't trust God. Our perception of God is like my cats, that we go running and we're terrified. And our first thought is that he's, he hates us and he has bad for us. And our God's first thing, you know, you know how God first begins redeeming humanity is he goes out after them in the garden. And so God came walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And he said, he began looking for them. And then he gives them a, a gospel promise in, in, the, in the midst of the very curses that they brought upon themselves by not trusting God. And he says, I open enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike its heel. And when Jesus came, he undid that curse. And let me just finish with this. It's Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham and even way back to Adam might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And so this morning, I guess I want us, and I want to pray for all of us, our young and our old, that we would begin to live lives of trusting God in areas where we feel like, you know, why, why do we get anxious? Why do we get stressed out because we're afraid that somehow God might not quite get it right, right? We get stressed out because of that. Why do we, why do we try and take things into our own hands? Because we think somehow God isn't good and he's not going to take care of it. Or we think somehow humans are going to screw up. When we first came here, there was this kind of a group in the church that, not not the whole church, but some of the few of the people in the church had gotten involved in and they were called reconstructionists and they didn't have driver's licenses and they didn't have um, they didn't pay taxes or anything and when we first Teresa and I first drove here we had this big semi truck and we said to some of the people that had hired us why didn't you tell us they were you know this was in the going on in the church and they said well we were afraid if we told you you might not come you, you could look at that and you could just say well let's just get out of here but you know what Teresa and I said we said you know what God works God works through brokenness Right? And I, I have a word for some of you today that, that you don't need to control things anymore. Even if humans do really goofy things, they may mean it for evil, but God can turn even that around for good. God is good. And for those who really haven't trusted Him and are, are beginning to feel like, well, I'm just going to go do this myself. I'm going to find my own boyfriend. I'm going to find my own whatever. I'm just going to go do this because God's not doing it. Would you come, Father, and would you come and change that mind and change our hearts and change us so that we may be people who begin to trust and are not afraid, that we would be people who trust and obey out of the joy that we know that you want to give us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless. If anybody wants prayer, come on up. hope that was sort of clear. God bless.